he cannot enjoy the things of the world because he's grieving the Spirit of God, and he cannot enjoy fully the things of the Spirit of God because he's indulging in the world. And this might help you. Maybe you are a believer, and you are trying to play with the world. Maybe one of my young people, and you're sensing you're absolutely miserable. Well, that's probably a good sign. Turn to the Lord. Set aside that sin. Respond and, and repent. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, a ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you've joined us over the previous week, Pastor Chris has been walking us through a series of sermons called Topics for Tough Times. During those messages, he's shared with us uh, one of the topics being courage, another being wisdom, and this week he will share the other topic for tough time being joy delighting in God by faith. During this message, he will go over the definition of joy, the pursuit of joy, the exercise of joy, and the reward of joy. Now, if you will, turn with us to 1 Peter chapter 1, where Pastor Chris will introduce us to the message. Well, I will say it is a, it is a tremendous privilege to be here tonight and to have the opportunity to share this particular topic, to work on this topic for tough times, the topic of joy, because it's one I think that is really misunderstood, and particularly for my young people who grow up in a world where everything is sensuality-based, everything is based on emotions that are felt or can be generated through some kind of experience or even some kind of external substance. It is a delight to know that we as believers have a joy that is not generated by senses. It is not a sensual joy. It is a Holy Spirit-empowered joy. And so I pray that tonight for my youth as well as for, for the church, whoever might be watching tonight, that perhaps we will bring some clarity to that common command that we're aware of, that command to consider it all joy, my brethren. So I'd like to actually read from 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 all the way down to verse 9 as a way to kind of set the stage for joy uh, and then we will just work our way through what it actually means to have joy, and then what it would mean to consider all things, or to consider this current crisis to be joy. How do we actually do that? How do we practically, spiritually, in our lives, moment by moment, consider all things to be joy? So listen carefully, as we really, First Peter chapter 1 sets the ground, really lays the foundation for how you have joy, and then gives the command for joy. Um, first Peter chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. Now, Ten years ago, I took Josiah mountain biking for the very first time at Haw Ridge near Knoxville. Now, he had never been mountain biking before, and I had never been to Haw Ridge. So in about five minutes, we found ourselves on a 
black diamond trail getting thrown about by roots and rocks, many of which sent Josiah and myself at times into various states of crash mode. When we finally found easier trails, the damage was done. All Josiah wanted to do was head for the van, and that's what I wanted to do as well. There was no joy in Mudville for either Josiah or myself. Now, by contrast, this Tuesday, I took Joanna to Haw Ridge for the, her first time. But it wasn't her first experience mountain biking. We'd been practicing and increasing our skills for weeks. Additionally, we met Sean and Joshua Huff there, and Sean was our guide, and he steered us clear of disastrously hard trails. Now, not hard trails. He took us on plenty of those, just not disastrously hard trails. It was still muddy and slick. There were lots of steep hills and big roots, but Joanna and I had enough skill at this point to mostly stay upright and unhurt. This time, there was joy and there was encouragement as we headed back, even though the ride itself was tiring and difficult. So what was the difference between Josiah's bummer and Joanna's joy? Well, training, experience, guidance, and fellowship, just to name a few. Our experience of joy came in the way we walked through the circumstances and not the circumstances themselves. As believers, similarly, now in a much deeper sense, and, and more than just kind of a, an emotional or even, even circumstantial experience of a, of a good time together, as believers, we are in need of a true joy which will enable us to properly live for Christ and reflect Christ in spite of the circumstances around us. This is the joy which the Holy Spirit provides for the believer when he renovates our hearts and when he sets up residence there. Yet this true joy must be biblically understood and carefully cultivated. The Spirit is there. The, the, the foundation for this joy is in every believer, but it does not automatically spring from the heart of the believer who does not carefully cultivate this joy. So what we'll see tonight is that joy is the fruit of the Spirit, which enables the believer to directly experience the benefits of Christ in every circumstance. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit, which enables the believer to directly experience the benefits of Christ in every circumstance. What an incredible thought. The joy enables us at any time to actually experience the very benefits of our salvation, at least to the extent that they can be while we're still on this earth. Joy is not an emotion to be had. It's a spiritual fruit to be exercised. It, it is a condition of the heart that must be cultivated. Now, our main problem is that we confuse joy for sensual emotional pleasure and circumstance-produced happiness. Essentially, those things which take no effort to cultivate and are entirely devoid of any kind of discernment. We want our joy to be spontaneous and emotion-filled, not carefully cultivated and experienced with the entire inner man. However, the deepest joy is that which is produced by the Spirit of God in the mind, the will, the affections, and the conscience of the believer and allows him to benefit from Christ's blessings at every moment regardless of the state of his emotions or of his circumstances. So let's jump right into a definition of joy. And this will follow a similar pattern as these other topics that we've worked our way through. We'll look at a really a, a, a spiritual definition, a topical definition drawn, a theological one drawn from the truths of Scripture. There's about 400 verses, probably more, that, that relate to either joy or rejoicing, the noun, verb, the noun form or the verb form of this particular word. And trying to draw all of those verses together into one definition 
is difficult and yet I think is, is a practice and exercise that is very helpful for us. So we, we don't just have cliches about joy. Joy is being happy apart from circumstances. Joy is the uh, delight of the heart. Well, those are all parts of what joy are. But we need to, as best we can, work our way through a spiritual definition. Now, there are a couple of one-line definitions that I really love. I don't think they necessarily express all that joy is. But So joy is and has been described as the continual feast of the heart on the sustenance of Christ. That's good. And then John MacArthur says, joy is the flag that flies over the castle of the heart when the king is in residence. I love that as well. When the king is there, then we delight. The flag goes up. Joy is in our hearts. And of course, the king is always in residence in the heart of the believer. But so for a more full orb definition. Here we go. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to work our way through each piece of it, and we'll talk about how we pursue this joy, then the way this joy is cultivated, and finally the rewards of this joy. So here's the longer definition. Joy is the spirit-empowered delight which comes from recognizing the infinite value of Christ and, by faith, finding our total satisfaction and fulfillment in deepening our relationship with him and with his people as we are conformed to his image. Now, that's a bunch, but I, I think all those pieces are necessary if we're going to wrap our minds around what it means to have biblical joy as opposed to what the world says. So again, the spirit-empowered delight, which comes from recognizing the infinite value of Christ and by faith finding our total satisfaction and fulfillment in deepening our relationship with him and with his people as we are conformed to his image. So let's work our way through the pieces. First, as in each of these definitions, it is spirit. Joy is spirit empowered. This sets it apart from any human emotion that we would have. Just as courage is not a human characteristic, as contentment is not something that human beings can have, right? So joy is not something that can be experienced by anyone other than a believer, not biblical joy. And that's why it's so important we set it apart from any kind of worldly joy. Unbelievers cannot experience the spiritual benefits of Christ, of course, and so they never have true joy. I would call it echoes of joy. The delight and happiness and laughter in the world, they're all God's common grace as an echo of the true benefits of Christ, which can only be experienced by the believer. This joy is spirit-empowered. It's not a sensual experience of fleeting emotion. It's an abiding character quality that is produced by the Spirit of God in the life of the believer upon conversion. It is called a fruit of the Spirit, a quality that the Spirit of God builds into us and really comes into our hearts when he comes. Acts 13.52, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Those two go together. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot be filled with joy. Romans 14.17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. They can only be found in him. Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, joy is empowered by the Spirit of God. As we are filled with the Spirit of God, so we are increasingly filled with joy. Which again helps us understand the filling of the Spirit of God is not kind of a, a one-time ecstatic experience. It's an ongoing pursuit of being controlled entirely by the Spirit of God, a supernatural work that produces the fruit of the Spirit, one of those being joy. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. So it is Spirit-empowered, something only the believer can have, 
and it's something that then can be and needs to be experienced by the believer in increasing measure as he is daily or really moment by moment filled up with the Spirit of God who continually fills him. Next, and maybe the most important part of the definition, because a lot of the other pieces we're aware of, the second part is delight. It's a a Holy Spirit-empowered delight. But here's where we so often have our problems. What is delight? It's like, what is joy? I'm really, I mean, are you, am I just putting a synonym there? So I'm going to sneak by and say, well, it's delight, and then move on. We have to define what delight is. What is a spiritual delight? Because the world delights in lots of things. And this is incredibly misunderstood, even among Christians, as though delight should somehow mimic a sensual experience that the world has, and we search for that from the Holy Spirit, and we don't get it. Or when we do get it, we've generated it through some external source, and it is fleeting. What is delight? Well, most basically, it's defined pleasure in something. Now, that pleasure, so in its most basic sense, not in the spiritual sense yet, in its most basic sense, to delight in something is to find pleasure in something because... It either appeals to our senses, it's valuable to us, it fulfills a need that we have or accomplishes something we desire. And the first kind of delight that is most often referred to when people say they have joy or say they have happiness or say they delight in something is the sensory pleasure. It is something that comes to the senses or is produced by a substance that explodes upon our senses and brings a feeling of delight. And this kind of pleasure is purely sensual. It comes regardless of whether or not I value the object of pleasure. You take a drug, and it doesn't matter if you value the drug. It doesn't matter anything about it. You put cocaine into your system, and it brings an instantaneous flash of pleasure. That's sensory pleasure. And it has nothing to do with rationality, nothing to do with value, nothing to do with even actually necessarily producing something I value other than simply the pleasure itself. This is the shallowest and most dangerous kind of pleasure, if that is if it is indulged in, if this is what drives your life, because it happens or, or, or it comes even when it's, even when, again, it, there's no consideration involved. It is usually, however, the most intensely experienced kind of pleasure, and so we compare everything else to it, thinking that every kind of pleasure ought to be the same as some kind of sensory experience, and this is where we have a biblical disconnect, because the Bible does not describe joy in this way directly. Again, this is the kind of thing that happens when you hear beautiful music, or music that you consider beautiful. It just instantly produces a kind of pleasure. Art, something you see, and it produces pleasure in what you saw. So maybe some incense, a, a smell that produces an instant uh, sensory experience. Food that you taste, and immediately it bursts upon your taste bud, and taste buds, and is delightful to you. Sex, which comes through sight and feel, and is and is is has a sensory experience. Again, regardless of of what you're thinking rationally necessarily. Drugs, of course, do this to the brain. They really bypass the senses themselves and work directly internally in the endorphins of your brain. These kinds of pleasures, they can be somewhat controlled. They can even be redirected, but only through the intense effort of the mind, will, affections, and conscience. That's the first kind of joy, and, or first kind of pleasure, and that's not the delight we're talking about. That kind of delight can be produced for any person, anywhere, depending on the kinds of the, the way their body is designed. Those have nothing to do with a spiritual product of what the Spirit of God does in our hearts. Now, the other kind of joy or delight, it's a directed pleasure. 
That is, they come from things that are valuable to us, things that fulfill a need or we have we need to accomplish some desire that we have. These are first considered, and then they are sometimes spelled emotionally. The Christian, we as believers, have to have categories for sensory joy, emotional joy, and for this what we would call considered or faith-directed delight. And we'll see, we'll demonstrate that from Scripture. That the kind of delight or joy that we're talking about, the pleasure that we have, is not a purely sensory experience, it's not a purely emotional experience, and it only sometimes results in those things, even when it's directed. It does not always result in either a sensory or an emotional experience, although sometimes it may. Why can't we say that we have a, a directed joy, or a joy that doesn't come simply from the experience, uh, a sensory experience? Because we're commanded to do this. Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. Is it possible to have a sensory experience, a kind of an overwhelming delight in everything that happens to us? The answer is no. It simply is not, nor is that the experience of any person who has ever lived on the face of the earth. James 1, 2, very important words, and we'll look at them more in depth later. Consider it, that is the trial, all joy. Consider it, not experience it, not have emotions about it. Again, they may be produced afterward but is considered all joy, much like that bike ride I just told you about. For Josiah and I, the, the, the experience itself was a disaster because of the way we thought and worked our way through the circumstance. For Joanna and I, it was entirely different, almost exactly the same circumstance, but different because of the way we considered it. It had emotions that were tied to it, but the emotions were not what produced the joy. The joy produced the emotion, the way we considered it. And this is the kind of joy that we are commanded to have in Scripture, consider Christ at Gethsemane. Christ was perfectly Holy Spirit-filled at every moment in his earthly life. We cannot say that at, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he sweats great drops of blood over considering taking upon himself the very wrath of God, that he was less than joyful about that experience. We could never say that Jesus did not consider it all joy to go to the cross, and yet his emotional experience was entirely different than some kind of happy joy parade. Internally, he was full of joy. Our scriptures reveal to us in Hebrews that for the joy set before him. That doesn't mean just that he was going to get joy later, but he was experiencing joy in the moment, considering it joy both as he was going through it and then considering where that would one day take him. Jesus was full of joy. He considered it all joy, even as he went to the cross, yet he sweated great drops of blood. He was in tremendous agony, and yet he was considering it all joy. Certainly, we wouldn't say that other people who have gone to death with, with even greater, greater uh, ex external joyfulness were somehow more joyful than Jesus when he went to his death on the cross. Now, I think it's fairly clear that in heaven, all these joys will properly align. There will be sensory joy, there will be emotional joy, there will be considered joy, and unlike here on this earth where we're broken in all three of those ways of experiencing joy, in heaven they will all combine together to, perform, to, to produce a perfectly experienced joy. Psalm 1611 as you will make known to me the paths of life in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. We experience some of this now, and we look, but we look forward to what it will one day be. 
Psalm 82, 84, too, my soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. We will one day experience this joy fully. All parts of us properly harmonized and the joys that we have being experienced to the fullest extent. This is delight. It, it, it's broken in us now. It begins for the believer with a considered joy, a considered pleasure as we recognize the value of something, as we consider what it produces in light of who Jesus is, and then it flows out in emotion and even sometimes in sensory experience. So it's a Holy Spirit-empowered delight that comes from recognizing the infinite value of Christ. That's third on your outline, sort of third part of the definition. We do not find joy in this Holy Spirit sense. In this spiritual sense, we do not find joy in what we do not value. See, that's why it's so different than sensory experience. You can find the joy just impacts you. It's Again, it's, it's totally removed from any kind of actual value of what is causing that joy. But for true spiritual joy, it is always directed by the value of what we are observing or what we are, the, the value we place in the thing that is causing the joy. We What we value most highly brings our greatest joy joy. Psalm 92.4, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. Matthew 13.44, the kingdom of heaven, really speaking of the, the, the nature of entering into that kingdom through Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He bought it because of the value of Christ. Understanding and knowing that value. John 3, 29, he who has the bride, this is John the Baptist speaking, he who has the bride is, uh, is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So said John the Baptist, as Jesus was, his ministry was ascending and John's was descending. He said, this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase and I must decrease. This is the nature of the believer. Our value, the value that we have for Christ and in Christ is what causes us to increase in joy as Christ is honored and Christ is exalted. That's the only true kind of spiritual joy. If we value something more highly than Christ and find our joy in it, that's a false joy, a joy that we should not and must not pursue. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. There's nothing in the believer's life that is allowed to produce joy, that we are allowed to find our delight or our pleasure in that is higher than Christ. He is to be of highest value and therefore he is to be our greatest joy. So it is a Holy Spirit-empowered delight that comes from recognizing the infinite value of Christ and then by faith. See, even that value is only known by faith. We don't look at Christ and have some overwhelming emotional experience as we glance into the pages of Scripture. We see and understand His value by faith. We believe the truth about His person and work, the way He's described in the pages of Scripture, as the Spirit of God strengthens our inner man, our mind, our will, our affections, and our conscience to understand His value. Even there, the Spirit of God must work, and it is not primarily an emotional response. It is a willful response. It's an inner man response to believe by faith. As we will see, there must be a way to experience joy which does not come primarily through the senses or directly from the emotions. Thus we seek by faith to direct our inner man into joy in the midst of every circumstance. We do this only by faith. 
And that faith itself is produced by the power of the Spirit of God. 1 Peter 1.8 that I read. Speaking of how we can find joy in the midst of trial, we have to consider the inheritance that we have, the work of God through the, through the Son of God to bring us salvation. And then it says in verse 8 of 1 Peter 1, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, so it's not some kind of sensory, emotional overload experience. Don't even see Jesus now. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you have not seen him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice. Put those things together. You don't see Jesus. There's not some direct experience of him in that way. But because you believe in him, you have greatest joy. It is joy produced by faith. And that's the strongest and deepest kind of joy that is commanded for the believer. Just understanding that will drive away most of the myths about joy and enable you to begin to pursue true joy by faith, believing in Jesus and what he's done, taking hold of that in the moment. Now, don't misunderstand me. By faith doesn't mean apart from experience. That is, you are exercising the faith, and there is an experience of joy. That is, directing your mind, will, and affections to him understanding and knowing his value, believing that by faith, there is the experience then of joy in the heart. It's not an emotional thing. It's not directly tied. You might not have a, an emotion. Jesus was not emoting some kind of happiness as he was going to the cross. But I guarantee you that there was this Holy Spirit-empowered, considered joy and delight in the Father that moved him towards the cross. James 1, 2, by faith, consider it. Right? So uh, I add the, the words consider it have to do with by faith. I believe it to be true. I reckon it to be so. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Ephesians 3.16. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that he would grant them, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. This is what we need, our inner man, mind, will, and affections need to be strengthened with power, not overloaded with emotion. Not, not forced into some kind of sensory experience, but we need to be strengthened with power in our mind, will, and affections so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's a real dwelling. It's an actual experience of our inner man being affected and changed, but it is not primarily emotional. It is by faith. So by faith, finding our total satisfaction and fulfillment. And how could it be any other way? Can you actually, in one sense, find the fullness of your satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ? Only by faith. You couldn't emote enough. You couldn't have enough sensory experiences to actually do that. This can only be done by faith to find our total satisfaction and fulfillment in Him. If you are trying to find your pleasure and satisfaction and fulfillment in something else, believing that something else can provide that for you other than Christ, then you won't have spiritual joy. Psalm 87, 7. Those who sing as well as those who play the flutes shall say, all my springs of joy are in you. All of them, all of the place from which my joy comes is God and for the believer, the New Testament believer, Christ. Psalm 90, 14, oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Psalm 16, 11 that I read, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand our pleasures forevermore. So does the Holy Spirit-empowered delight, which comes from recognizing the infinite value of Christ and by faith finding our total satisfaction and fulfillment in deepening our relationship with Him. You see, this kind of joy is a relational joy. That's why I said it's experiential. It's actually happening. There's something going on in your inner man which is deepening your relationship. There's this there's this delight in relationship with Christ that goes deeper than emotion and deeper than sensory experience. 
So as this joy is relational, it comes from knowing him, communicating with him more deeply, becoming more intimately acquainted with his way. Again, Psalm 84, 2, my soul longs and yearns for the courts of the Lord. Why? My, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God, to, to know him, to experience him. David is, is speaking of the fact that to go to the temple was the place where you could have a relationship. You could, you could speak to God. You could direct your thoughts and heart towards him. Well, for the believer, for now for the believer, our communication with God, our deepening relationship with him is where and how, what we find our joy in. But there's an important part of this definition that over and over in Scripture came, came to the fore as I was studying it. And it, I added it into my definition. I've never had it in the definition before. But a true spiritual joy comes not only from deepening in relationship with Christ, but also from deepening in relationship with his people. Why? Because the primary manifestation of joy in God in, in this life, certainly to begin with, comes in delighting and being with his people. There's no true joy in God that can't be or shouldn't be expressed and deepened with the people of God. If we don't delight in the people of God, we don't delight in God. Or, and or our delight in God grows weak, much like love. God says, you, you can't say you love me and not love my people. Joy would be the same. You can't say you have joy in God and not have joy in his people. And as you deepen in your experience of joy with the people of God, you will, in fact, be deepening in your experience of joy with God himself and vice versa. The two go hand in hand. Philippians 4.1, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown. I mean, consider the, the, the terms that Paul uses there. The believers were his joy and crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. I mean, there couldn't be higher discussions or, or, or more heightened language about the nature of finding joy in believers. He says, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you? That is the other believers. In the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming. Think about it. He's saying that when the Lord Jesus comes, the one in whom we find all our joy and in whom our joy is grounded, that even then the believers would be a crown of joy for him. What an amazing thought. He goes on to finish it out. For you, he says, when Jesus comes, you are our glory and joy. Not apart from Christ, but in Christ. You cannot remove joy in Christ from joy in Christ's people. And that's why I think it's essential that it stays in that definition. It is part and parcel of what it means to have joy in Christ, to have joy and increase in intimacy and relationship with his people. 1 Thessalonians 3.9, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? I think one of the fundamental problems of, for Christians when they're not experiencing joy is they're not delighting in God's people. And think about it in a time like this when we're separated from God's people. It is, it is our passion, our desire to be with them because part of experiencing joy with people is to experience and deepen in our joy in God. It's why we're working so hard to come back together, to be with each other. Yes, we can direct this joy towards people apart from relational experience with them, but they're not like the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't reside in our hearts in that sense. He actually is there spiritually. Others aren't truly there. We, when we are with them, then we deepen and grow relationally with them and we can delight in deepening our joy. So we are to deepen in relationship with him. This, that's how we get this joy and with his people as we are conformed to his image. That's the final piece of this is that our, our, the final part of our delight, our joy, comes only when we are looking more like Jesus. 
as we're developing relationship with him and as we're looking more like him. They go hand in hand, but they both need to be said. Our joy is both relational and reflectional. We rejoice to know him better and to look more like him so that he seemed to be great. We can have no joy if we're not looking like Jesus. If we're not being conformed to his image, then, then our joy is weak because our delight is to make our Savior look great by having his nature reproduced in us. That's the joy of the true believer. And again, you see that this is not purely emotional. This is not purely sensory. This is a considered deep, heartfelt, fully orbed delight in looking like our Lord Jesus so that he will be seen to be great. John 15, 12, 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you, he says to his disciples, that my joy may be in you and your joy. I think as a result, and your joy may be made full. John 17, 13, and now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. 1 Peter 4, 13, this is fascinating, but to, the, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, which are by implication making you look more like Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. In Romans 8, 29, it says, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he, the son, might become the firstborn among many brethren. So that's the definition. And I think if we can keep our minds wrapped around what it truly means to delight, not simply emotionally or sensory, but a considered by faith direction of our mind, will, and affection to by faith, knowing and recognizing the infinite value of Jesus, deepening in relationship with him and with his people, and longing to be conformed to his image, that will help us understand the kind of joy that true believers must have. Well, let's talk a little bit now about how we would pursue this kind of joy. I know that doesn't solve all the problems for how we actually exercise this joy. We're getting there. Right? But that's the definition. I think it will help if we set aside the ideas of what the world has about joy and even what so many Christians often believe about the joy they should experience. But now let's talk about how we pursue this kind of biblical joy. First, we need to overcome the barriers. What are the barriers to joy? If joy has to do with faith, if it has to do with valuing Christ, if it has to do with deepening in relationship, if it has to do with the Spirit of God working in our hearts, then what are the barriers to it? The first one is ignorance. If we know little of Christ and little of his purposes for us, we have little joy. You might have, and maybe this was your experience, or maybe you've experienced a new believer who came to Christ and was full of joy, and then you found that over time maybe it was your joy or maybe you watched that person, that, that seeming joy began to fade. Why? Because that wasn't full, deep, deep-seated joy. If that believer does not continue to learn and grow in their knowledge of Christ and their experience of him by putting into practice his truth, by living by faith, their joy that looked like a true joy on, at the outset, and maybe for a time was, that joy will fade because it, will, it cannot overcome the ignorance of that person's heart, even the believer. And they will, as they do not deepen in their knowledge and appreciation and understanding of Christ, their joy will fade. It will not continue. Think about it. Creation holds a certain joy just by observing it, doesn't it? You look at a beautiful sunset and you, you, you can be overwhelmed with the joy of that. But as you dig into the details of what creation is and how intricate it is and all the pieces that work together, when you do that in, in light of that you know that God created, your understanding of and appreciation for that creation gets, uh, becomes far more deeply rooted in you. 
And it's more than just a, a momentary emotion at the flash of sun as it goes down over the horizon. It becomes a deep-seated joy in God, uh, the one who could create this kind of beauty and who would work intricately in the very atoms that put it together. It's a much more deep-seated kind of joy. Well, that's true in knowing about Christ. The more we overcome the ign our ignorance of him, the more our true joy in who he is actually deepens. We have to overcome the barrier of ignorance. We have to overcome the barrier of disobedience. For the believer, disobedience grieves the Holy Spirit, and therefore, since the Holy Spirit is constantly impacting our own inner man, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, it brings grief to our inner man, which is the opposite of joy in this sense. This kind of grief, a grief over our disobedience, a recognizing that we have displeased the heart of God. See, to find joy is to know that we have pleased the heart of God. Grief means we have displeased him, and so disobedience always brings grief, and it steals our joy. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When our hearts are hardened, we lose our joy as we disobey. And, and this is for the believers. See, unbelievers, and this may help you, unbelievers can delight in their disobedience because there's no spirit of God. Yes, there's a certain conviction and a certain conscience, but they can actually just love disobeying. You're like, I thought, I thought you know, disobedience was supposed to bring, you know, uh, everybody was bummed out and they were all grieved over their disobedience. And you look at an unbeliever, you're like, there's no grief there. Absolutely delighting in their absolute wickedness and debauchery. How is that possible? Because there's no spirit of God in their heart. Now, for the believer... The most miserable person in the, in the world is the true believer who is trying to put one foot into the world. The true believer. Because he cannot enjoy the things of the world because he's grieving the Spirit of God and he cannot enjoy fully the things of the Spirit of God because he's indulging in the world. And this might help you. Maybe you are a believer and you are trying to play with the world. Maybe one of my young people and you're sensing you're just absolutely miserable. Well, that's probably a good sign. Turn to the Lord. Set aside that sin. Respond and, and repent. Thank you for joining us today on Grace Maryville Weekly. We pray that your heart has been encouraged and your faith has been strengthened by the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more about the ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. Online, you will be able to find out more about the many ministries that we offer, including our youth ministry, our women's and men's ministry, as well as our college-aged ministry. Not only will you be able to find out more about them, we do offer, you'll be able to access a full audio archive of messages presented from the pulpit at Grace Community Church. Again, please join us on Friday, where Pastor Chris will conclude this two-part message.